I'm your producer, Todd Bartu, and this is Offshore Explorer. Offshore Explorer looks at the world from the mariner's point of view, port by port. Together, we share stories that detail the important intersections between sailing, culture, and life, past, present, and future. Coming up on today's episode, the importance of place, Simi Greece, and how one woman's illicit love affair saved the Greek resistance. But first, let me introduce our host, a lifelong sailor who has traveled the world, International for Teens and Cross the Atlantic countless times, and a published author who has written for both stage and screen, Mr. Scott Dodson. Thank you, Todd. How are you doing today? Uh, we're doing pretty good. You know, we've got a lot of great feedback on the show. Um, I think people are really digging last week's episode. Uh, Tommy, he was uh, a lot of fun. It was a great episode. It was very funny. Quite a character. <laughs> yes, Tommy is definitely a character. So, Scott, what do we have planned for today's episode? Today, we're going to shift gears, and we're going to do. We're going to have three. We have three different kind of podcasts that we're doing for our show. the The first one is is pretty much a straight up storytelling. Um, here's the adventure. Um, here's the lesson from that adventure. Then the second one is interviews. Tommy being our first, which was really great. Now we have to find somebody. I don't know if we'll ever find somebody who's as cool as he is, but we'll give it a shot. But the third is about place. This is a real key thing for us is because as a sailor, you come into a place, you want to find out how you connect to that place, why you're there, what you see. It's just not a matter of just seeing stuff. I mean, as some people who have done the tour of Europe always when they finish, they say, ah, I don't want to see another cathedral as long as I live or another Roman rock. I don't care. But really what a travel is about is connecting with people. And that's what this story is about. And we're going to start on my favorite island, Simi Greece. The question is, what makes a place important to you? Um, what is the importance of place and connectiveness? Offshore Explorer, as a show, looks at the world through the mariner's eyes. But diving deeper into the process, we see sailors are moving from place to place, often different countries, different cultures, different peoples, different languages. There's an entire encyclopedia of stories and history, environmental influences, religions, moral values, political outlooks, business practices. I mean, it's endless. One only needs to look at their own community to see the variety of differences. So if we do a little mental experiment and we stand outside in our own town, okay, and we consider all the histories, the incidents, the observations that you've made by living in that town. Like, you know, there was a traffic accident this corner and it involved a blue car and a white truck. There was um, a wedding that took place in this little church around the corner. That was a very beautiful little church. 
even though maybe it's not the biggest and most elaborate. So as a way of understanding what I'm trying to do with this sense of place, this importance of place, take yourself and think about how the place you live in, how you are connected to that place through memories, through romance, through business, you know, all the little things that sort of make you feel that you're home in this place. Now, the advantage for a sailor is, is in a sense, we're bringing our home with us. So we are investing into our visit with our own home. If you look at the history of ports, when the mariner comes, no matter where they're from, and their boat is at the dock, it becomes automatically a part, a place, a part of the connectedness of the entire place. So today, one of the things we're going to do is talk about a little place, a little island in Greece called Simi. Offshore gives you a, a primer about ports and, and the people, so you'll have a deeper understanding of the place, of their place, of what makes it home for them. When you travel and see places for the first time, the effect is that they sort of jar your perceptions, they shape your observations, they create a kind of clarity. Experiencing places can also reinforce your ideas and personal philosophies. And if you're looking for something, looking for something in yourself, the journey will help you discover it. A friend of mine who was a very, let's say, inattentive Catholic, visited Rome, and by the sheer grandeur and beauty, it ignited a kind of reevaluation of her faith. She didn't go looking to restore her faith. She just wanted to see the place. But what happened is it opened up the possibility of the restoration of her faith. So when you arrive by boat, the mariner, the sailor, whether he arrives on a sailboat or a powerboat, whether it's commercial, they privately present to the community that you're visiting a kind of commitment. Sailing a million-dollar yacht into a remote island port can mean a lot of trouble if you're not careful. But you need not go to some third-world port to put your boat in jeopardy. In every European country in the Med, the tax man is looking for unpaid VAT tax. And they will board your boat and ask you if you've paid it and where it is. And it's a tax, yes. But one of the things you have to realize, and the Spanish are very aggressive in this, is that a percentage of the VAT ends up in the local community. So you could pay your VAT 
let's say you paid in Spain, you pay your VAT tax to Madrid, right? That's the national part of it. But if you have to pay it and say it's in a small community like Marbella, that VAT tax, a percentage of that, a big percentage goes to Madrid, but a small percentage stays in the local community. And it's a big push. They have a big push as far as the tax man and the customs and the duties guys. They're very money conscious. And it can create a lot of problems. I mean, I know for sure that you could end up being, you know, held up for days and sometimes weeks and sometimes months until it's actually paid. And sometimes there are people who are trying to confiscate your boat for any kind of reasons. The sailor is bringing his place, the yacht, his home in some cases, to bear witness of his goodwill and commerce. The risks aside, sailors fulfill a very important place in the society of ports. It is as if the dock space is a place reserved for places that are foreign to come and visit. And the culture, the regulations are all set up with that concept of your bringing your place, your money, your commerce to our place, and we welcome you to be our friends and to do commerce. Now, sometimes ports aren't like that. I will go through that in a later podcast. But for the most part, everybody is pretty generous. In almost every port, I'll bet one or two that I've ever been in. So in this series, I will visit commercial ports, city ports, island roads. Roads meaning a place where you anchor. It's not really a port. Little towns with quays, river ports, and landings. And we're going to sketch out every single port with certain principles that sort of apply across those units. Commercial ports are very similar across the world because they've been containerized. You know, they have all the equipment for containers. Uh, perfect example is Los Angeles, uh, Nagasaki, Qingdao. Ports like that are, are, they stand independent. They're containerized. Now, there's other containerized ports, but they're more integrated into the city. And these commercial ports are like Amsterdam or New York City. Um, they are part of the city landscape, so to speak. Now, island roads can be found mostly around the world, like places like Tortola. Their, Tortola's main town is called Road Town, which is an English word for a place to lay out your anchor with your road. The British Virgin Islands and other island towns in the Caribbean. Um, you find a lot of them in the South Pacific, um, Africa, uh, small ports, very small ports, small communities around them. Um, they exist for a variety of different reasons, um, something special. 
I know a place in Italy, which is a road, in which the only vessels that actually anchor there are vessels that uh, load and ship granite and marble that comes from the mountains, and then they go around the world and deliver it. There are also river ports, and Lisbon is on the river. Lagos and Paris is another river port. In fact, Paris is called the Port of St. Louis, and they have pretty much their own ways, but they are ports that are very far up a river that have access to the ocean to travel. Okay, so how do we approach this place? I'm going to take you through a series of pieces of information that will get you acquainted with one of my favorite towns and islands in the world, Simi, Greece. So let's start with what we would read and this is from Google. Simi is a Greek island, part of the Dodecanese Island Group. It is also known for its beaches, an annual musical festival, and for the harbor at Simi Town. Surrounded by colorful neoclassical houses, you can look at the pictures, on the, on the southwest coast, the 18th century monastery of Archangel Michael Panamatris is a major, it's a major Greek pilgrimage site with a Byzantine museum. So this is the kind of information you can get about a place that comes from travel books. So you say, okay, that sounds good. Music, beaches, okay. Get a little history and go to a Byzantine museum. But here's a few things you should know as an average sailor. A few things you really would like to know before you go into this port. The life of a sailor in the Greek islands during the summer depends a lot on the Maltemi winds. The Maltemi winds are this strong, dry wind that blows from the north. It can blow several days, three, four days, day and night, 30 knots, It'll make you insane. It's filled with dust. If it's really, really, really strong, it is really ferocious. It's, it's, the boat is almost the last thing to be in. The seas are very chopped up, very difficult to sail. Only in the leeward side of an island do you have any chance. Otherwise, it's just hard going. So, Simi Town is protected from the Maltemi by the mountains, and there's very little swell that comes into the harbor. Uh, there is some swell that comes in in the fall, but chances are you're not going to be there because that'll be late October, early November, when the winds shift from Maltemi, coming from the north, to the south, which is the Scirocco. And again, the Scirocco is, can be very fickle, 
or can be very ferocious. Um, it doesn't blow as long as the Meltemi. The Meltemi is just the only other place that's worse than having that Meltemi is being in the Gulf of Lyon. And the Gulf of Lyon is up in that little corner of the map where France and Spain are of the Mediterranean. Okay. And the wind that howls down through that is ridiculous. Now there's another little harbor and there's a couple little harbors that are not really harbors, but the biggest little harbor, not semi-town, the one that's right in the city, but there's another one called Pede. And, and Pede is, is very interesting because when you come in from the ocean side, the Mediterranean side, it's this slot between two giant mountains and it's quite tight. It looks tight. It's not really that tight, but it's quite tight. So you sail down this, you know, with cliffs on either side, and then the bay sort of opens up in this beautiful bowl, okay? And then on the other side of the very end of the bay, okay, there's two mountains. The monastery you can see is up on the left-hand mountain, all right, or the port side mountain. It's huge. It's up there, and then, but it's like 2,000 feet. And then there's another valley, and then there's another mountain, which is the mountain ridge that you need to go over to, to get to Simitown. And we'll talk about that in a second. So, Pede is one of my favorite, 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 favorite harbors. I will say that the bottom is rocky. For the most part, you can get a good hold. If it starts really blowing, you're going to drag anchor. So you might, and it usually will blow only at night. So you may end up spending the night sitting at the helm. Just, you know, very kind of serious watch. I, I did devise a kind of weird um, anchoring habit when I was there. I would put out my Bruce and it would, you know, find a place, a lot of chain in it. But from the Bruce, about 50, 60 feet up from the Bruce... I would attach a grappling hook. And the grappling hook, you know, with its really spiky ends, would sort of grab the rock if it could and hold it a little bit more than just the regular anchor, but it would keep the chain closer to the bottom of the of the bay so that that the anchor wouldn't drag so much. I found that to be a somewhat effective uh, anchoring configuration. You put your anchor out 50, 60 feet, attach a grappling hook, you know, with a little wire, whatever, and put it on the bottom. And then, of course, reel out as much as possible. This anchoring is, the anchoring is just for you know, when it's windy. I've been there. I've actually been in that harbor for three, four weeks in a row. I never had a sing single breeze blow down through the harbor like that. That would that would shift my boat. It's one of my favorite places. It's absolutely beautiful. There's a little stone cement dock at the head of the bay, and I would advise sort of staying out of that way. There's this, It's not marked, but you could see it when you come in you probably either want to stay very much to the port side of that little stone dock or, or really far over because there's a fairly big uh, water boat 
that comes in and docks on the starboard side of that cement pier. And what they do is Simi has very little water. So in the summer, because of tourists and all the rest of the stuff, they have to ship the water in. So that's, that's where the water comes is right there. So, and sometimes if the wind's blowing a certain way, you can actually hear the diesel generators, which is the electricity for the island. It's not near the beach. It's pretty far up from the beach, but it's a part of the local water and electricity um, complex. I just love going there. There's a couple of restaurants. There's a couple of hotels. Um, if you want some groceries, you can catch a cab. They're kind of rare. They're there. Sometimes I used to go over to the hotel and ask them if the, for a cab, and they would you know, say, oh, well, he'll be here like tomorrow or on Thursday or whatever. And, you know, but maybe the busboy can drive you over the hill on a scooter, you know. <laughs> That's why um, I had mentioned this before in some blogs that I, I bought a uh, little Yamaha Monkey, which was a fold-up uh, scooter. And um, so it was great. I could, you know, I could stow it on the boat. I had room for it on the boat. Um, put it in the dinghy, take it to land, sh- 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 un- unravel it, so to speak, start her up and had a nice basket on it so I could put groceries and stuff. And it could take two people. And, um, but it was just a little... Just a little uh, scooter. Your kids would drive it. But I used to love the walk. Just to walk up through all the beautiful cypress trees and up around the steps. And there's steps everywhere. And they're, they're all carved, either carved out of the stone of the mountain or they're marble steps dating back to Grecian times and Roman times. Up through the little neighborhoods all the way up until you get where the Knights of St. John had built windmills, okay? And that was to crush grain and and all of that kind of... And it's just, you know, the windmills were up at the top of the ridge. And and then you kind of go down and it's a nice all-stone walkway that goes down steps. It's lined by houses. It's very steep. Um, you'll see flowers and, you know, growing in gardens and you'll see, you know, the doors will be open and, and, you know, peek into people's homes as you're walking by. And, you know, it's very nice. Occasionally, I remember, I remember several times running into a donkey just standing on the, on the, the little cobblestone path. Um, and he's, he was a big donkey. And he wasn't letting anybody go until this older Greek woman, all dressed in black, she came out and she smacked him and led him away. Uh, I don't know who. I thought the donkey was pretty tough. At least I was a bit afraid of him. She wasn't. So once you sort of come down, you just sort of go down into the town and then you come out right into the harbor. Simi doesn't have a visitor place is there's nothing it's just the the harbor the street around the harbor some hotel some restaurants some hotels that are sort of tucked up little side streets and and then the harbor itself and you have the fishing boats 
um, that still operate. Most people will read in the books about semi um, sponges were world famous. Um, the semi sponge diver was considered the finest sponge diver all through the 18th and 19th, early 19th century. The sponges disappeared as a lot of our environmental problems sort of accumulate. But these sponges actually ended up in, in London in Harrods and they were very well, they were very prized possessions because they were just such wonderful sponges and they, they still have some sponges. But they used to do them with the hard hat diving stuff. They have a little museum there. It's actually kind of cool. But I'll, I don't need to get into all of that right now. So now this is the walk down. And that's petty is where I would always put my boat. Okay. And then I could go anywhere I wanted. Now, this very, the, the anchorage is very safe. There's nobody robbing anybody. It's all community. It's, it's a very safe place. Now, in Simitown, you get a lot of bigger vessels in there. You're going to go to Stern 2. Anchoring there is a little different. So here's something, you sailors, when you go in with your boat, what you need to know. Okay, first of all, you'll see as you come in to Simitown, you'll see the Customs House on the starboard side. Okay, it's a big white building, a couple of floors, a big Greek flag on the top of it. And right in front of it, there's a space. Do not go in that space. That is for the ferries, okay? Try not to be anywhere near that space because the ferries come in, they are big, they are fast, and they don't care. They come in, they swing around, they may drop a hook, they may not. They will back up to the quay. Sometimes they back up to the quay and they just pin the stern of the boat against the quay while cars and people come out. You're actually, they don't bring cars uh, too much into uh, Simi because just there's not a lot of roads and, and it's just, it's not necessary really. You just get around. It's very well regulated in that regard. But people just pile off it. Up goes the gate and then off they go. They pick up their anchor and keep going. Once I saw a ferry, not in Simi, but in Rhodes, come in drop their hook, pull up to the quay, the gate came down, the transom came down, people just came running onto the boat, running off in the boat, cars and all the rest, because Rhodes is a much bigger city, all the rest of that kind of stuff, up it went, and then he lifted up his anchor and took off. But what he did is he picked up the anchor of a sailboat that I was talking to the captain and his girlfriend that ferry took off and took that boat. Lines and everything snapped him in an instant right off. The line snapped so hard, it hit him in the head and he was knocked out. They stopped a about a half a mile to a mile outside the harbor, undid the anchor from their anchor and just dropped it and drove away. We had to go out. To, I went out there in a dinghy to, to, to help. Luckily, the, the, the mate, the girl, stewardess, she knew how to drive the boat, got it up, got him first aid, 
came back in. We all helped them. You know, this is what we do as boaters and sailors. And we all helped them get the boat in. And this was like a beautiful 90-foot uh, swan. It was a gorgeous boat. But that captain, he doesn't care. They don't care. So my advice is to you, don't go anywhere near the ferries. And one of the reasons you don't want to be close to them is because if they're pinning the stern of the ferry up against the quay, they're churning up the water and the waves and the churn runs down and it just rocks you while you're at anchor. Okay. So be prepared for that. It doesn't last. Thank goodness. It doesn't last more than about 10 or 20 minutes. But, you know, it is an experience that you'll regret having. So when you go into the harbor, you've got a spot, you see a spot, you say, okay, I'm going to go in that spot. And then you're going to drop your anchor and you're going to go stern to Mediterranean mooring. Now, the configuration of the bottom of the harbor is like a big V. And the point of the V is in the center of Semitown Harbor. Okay? So... You've got, it goes up from there to the other side of the harbor. And it's not really, it's two, three hundred yards, maybe wide, maybe less, you know, 150 meters maximum, 100 meters probably. So the V comes down to a hole and that hole happens to be close to 200 feet. It's, it's deep. And then it rises up really fast to the other side of the harbor. So what you want to do is kind of estimate to drop your hook in kind of the deepest part. You probably, if you don't put out enough, you'll never hit the bottom. But you want it to go, you want to get out as much uh, road as possible. Back your boat up. Get it on the dock and then reel up that chain so that the anchor kind of crawls on the upside of the V. You should be pretty safe there. Usually there's a lot of boats. Everybody's tightly snuggled in. So the only thing you have to worry about is maybe if your anchor slips that you'd be up against the dock. Your stern will go up against the dock. But if you have a passerelle, which if you're in the Mediterranean, everybody should have a passerelle. Um, that will, you'll be far enough away to kind of see what's going on before uh, disaster strikes. There's another anchorage in Simi that's on the west side of the island off the beach. Yeah, there's an anchorage in front of uh, Morathunda Beach. Um, sometimes you, you have to kind of fight to get in there to get a good hold. Um, but basically, yeah, there's... Nose Beach is also another beach that's really nice that you can kind of anchor off if you want to. There's a few places, but what you have to understand is water's deep all around that. It's almost, uh, you know, kind of the whole idea of in California, we have a lot of everything is deep here. So your anchor chain has got to have some, some length to it. But in any case, once you get into, let's go back to Simitown. Once you get into Simitown, it's fairly easy to clear in. The dock fees are not, not too expensive. If you, if you're in Pede, um, they do charge you a harbor fee. And George, <laughs> um, will come around in a boat and take your trash and charge you a fee. Now he doesn't 
look official, but don't be surprised if some time in the morning at about, say, 7.30, 8 o'clock, he's knocking on the side of your boat, asking you if you want to get rid of your trash and um, for a fee. You have to just pay him. It's not very much. It's also very good. He can tell you a lot of things that you need to know. His English is good. So one of the big things that about Petty or about any harbor that we go into or any port that we go into is finding out the rhythm of the place. So in Simitown, the rhythm is this. The ferries come first thing in the morning, usually bringing people from Rhodes, Greece, which is not very far away, about 40 miles. They drop them off. They spend the day and then boom. They leave that afternoon. So the nighttime is usually, there's, it's not very crowded. Um, there are people there. There's a lot of people that rent homes and all the rest of that kind of stuff. And they do, they, it's just wonderful. It's a, it's a great place for that. So, um, everybody's very casual. There's not big hotels, um, very low key. Food is delicious. It's basic. It's fish. So the ferries bring the tourists in in the morning and then pick them up in the evening and take them back. In the evening, the only tourists there are people who are renting houses and or staying in hotels. And of course, you know, the sailor. And let me tell you, the food is very fresh, it's very clean, and it's very tasty. I think that any one of the restaurants, you can't go wrong. Um... This is the way people make enough money to get through the winter. So, you know, you're going to go and you're going to enjoy yourself and just the air and the warmth and the light is just phenomenal. One of the coolest things is they have these things called the semi shrimp. We call them French fries with eyes because they're so small you can't break the shell up. You kind of have to eat the whole thing. They fry them. And they're really good. You know, you dip them in some sauce or whatever the case may be. And it's just, you can eat tons of them by the end of the day. But they're sort of an indigenous shrimp that they, that they grow out in the ocean. They also do some other um, fish farms in Simi. But they are in a part of a current that's out on the southeast side of the island that I think makes everything seem very, very fresh and very, very healthy in a kind of environmental way. But one of the things that I wanted to impart to you is, is the beauty. And I think when you're on land, you kind of miss some of the light. You see the, you know, the light's there, obviously, but when you're anchored in the middle of a little harbor like Petty, the overall view of the light changing is amazing, and you get a better perspective from it. And we're all familiar with that sort of bleached white glare that's the Greek midday sun. It's that white on white... But a lot of us don't get to see the okra hues that occur in the morning when the sun is just coming up or in the evening when the sun is just going down. In Simi, the landscape 
in parts of the island are like the moon. Rocks, white, mountainside, just gorgeous, but it looks like you're, you're on the moon. And because of that, you get this look at these beautiful hues as they go over this canvas. And one of the most amazing things is, of course, the moonlight. The moon can be, can be very large in perspective. And it has a, a crisp, bluish hue to it. And then sometimes especially when the Meltemi is going and there's a lot of dust in the air, the moon has this orange tint, this sort of blood orange look to it. The harbors, Simitown and Pede, are east to west harbors. So when the moon sets sometimes in the summer, it'll set between the mountains and it looks as if the moon is being cradled between the two mountains. It is a fantastic display of astronomy. We can see in this experience this whole pantheon of Greek stories and, and, and maybe how they were written, what inspired them. For us sailors, of course, when the moon is in that shape and in that place, uh, that's cocktail hour. Simi's a great place to have that. Especially there's a lot of other cruisers there that spend their summer on the boat just cruising around greats. A lot of us, I made some great friends just popping from one boat to the other boat. You know, we start out, we have, start out with a couple of cocktails in one boat, then we move over for hors d'oeuvres, then we move over for dinner, and then we move over for dessert, and then we have after drinks. And that rotation just kept going around and around for an entire summer. But why do I choose Simi? What is, what is Simi really about? Other than what you see on the surface, these things I've just described to you and tourists and what are the people like? How is, what is the connectiveness? And this is, this is when the narrative of the island runs deep and is a part of the culture. And it's the things people carry on them. It is the baggage that your grandmother had in her cart as she crossed the street. The entire history of your family. And it's been given to you. Simi is unique in the sense that you're basically living with the people that are there. There's a lot of people that live in Simi during the summer that actually work in Athens. So they come, you know, they, they grew up in Simi, but everybody leaves in Greece. That's the thing about Greece that you have to know. A lot of people leave. They leave, they come back, they leave. There's a lot of transience in that regard, but they never leave the islands. The island is a part of their soul. So you never, they never really leave that. But in the summer, they come, they'll work in the restaurants or they'll rent their they're, they'll own a building and they'll rent out apartments and they'll be there. And this is how they make money. And then when the summer's over, they board everything up and they go back because there's no tourists, there's no money. It's just people that live in Simi, some older people, some younger people. Um, a lot of the priests wander around town. You begin to actually see them 
in summer you don't really see them that much. Greek Orthodox, the monks who are uh, in the monastery, um, they'll come down and you get to see, they'll be walking around. It kind of gives this kind of magical feel to it. Um, if you're into that, it is absolutely spot-on place to be when that happens. So normally you meet the usual suspects. You know, you'll meet the harbor master and the other officers, um, the merchants, the waiters, the hotel workers. But if you're patient and you sit long enough, you'll meet the next phase of people, the summer resident. Now, oftentimes the summer resident is a lot of writers and simi, some filmmakers, just people wanting to escape. It's English, French, Greek, number of Egyptians. Makes for an interesting collage of cultures. But they also can give you a lot of information if you're you brought your boat there and you're anchored or you're at Simitown on the quay and you meet some of these people they can give you a lot of information about the pattern of life on the island and and you know oh well they have they have this and and this other store way over here they they have these little trinkets or um, come with me I'll, I will I will show you this or that and you know, everybody has their own sort of adventure that they would like you to be a part of and to share. And when that happens, that makes the whole experience. You're now a part of what really is the story of the island. But you're only at the most, you're only at, at, at the beginning of the story. Here is where you find the stories that connect today, yesterday, and project into the future. This summer, everyone on the island is trying to make money and because they got to make it through the winter and, you know, all the rest of this kind of stuff. And back when I was first going there on a fairly regular basis, I noticed a brass plaque on a wall in a little restaurant. And it was commemorating an armistice treaty that was signed, an armistice treaty for the Dodecanese. And it was signed May 8th, 1945, between the Germans and the English. And I thought, oh, that's kind of strange. It's in this house, this building. You know, why here? There's a town hall across the way. It's just as old as this house. And the owner, who was a middle-aged woman named Sophie, just beautiful, charming, wonderful. She was maybe 10, 15 years older than I was at the time. Um, she told me the story about the plaque and the story that opened up the lives and the soul of Simi like a clamshell opens up. So I listened to these stories. It was very early in the morning. It was in the fall. 
most of the tourists had gone. There wasn't really anybody around on the, the docks. And she knew I'd like to hear stories. We had talked a couple of times, and she, had, in a way, had promised to tell me this story. And Simitown itself was quiet, except for the fishermen mending their nets, which they, they do. I know you you think it's probably a Disney prop of a couple of old guys doing fishing nets, but no, these are real people that are just mending their nets, and they're going to go out and use them. And in many cases, they have come in, because they fish at night, they've come in and already got their catch off and now are repairing their equipment. So I'm sitting in the restaurant, and she, outside on the table, and the canopy that's normally over, the tables is, was was back, you know, everything was sort of being shut down. And she brought over a warm basket of rolls, bread, fantastic. Some raspberry and lemon marmalade, butter, two coffees, one for her and one for me. The bread, she told me, was made in an oven down the street that was actually cut into the mountain rock and had been continuously warm for centuries. Even during the war. That was why this bread was so delicious, because this bread had all the history of the place in it. Sophie told me that she was half Greek and half German, and her mother fell in love with a German sergeant during the occupation. Now, let me explain a little bit, real briefly, the history here. Um, the Italians came in 30, 1936 and took over the Dodecanese. Um, nobody fought the Italians. Greece was very poor, very disjunctured. Each island was sort of an island unto itself, if you may pardon the expression. And so the Italians took over. And they took over the big irons, like roads, like a lot of the repairs to the castle and into some of the homes were done because they were trying to make it a, a playground getaway from Mussolini. And the Italians loved doing restoration like that. So they did a lot of that. Um, Simi had the same thing. And then the British came and it has a lot to do with all the islands of the Dodecanese. There were several different battles that took place. And the, and the British uh, came and the Italians surrendered. And they said, look, if we can't go home, uh, why don't we switch sides and we'll fight with you? So that happened. So the island briefly was under British control. Then the Germans came in full force and defeated the British. And in fact, the Battle of the Dodecanese is maybe the most humiliating defeat that the English have ever had, the British have ever had. So, um, and also, by the way, that battle that was occurring there, um, Joseph Heller's Catch-22 was all about that. That was the location. They were down in Crete, but that was the location and the idea. So the Germans took over the island. Now, a lot of the people in Simi, they're very prideful people, okay? And they did not like the Germans. And so a lot of them escaped. 
and they went up into the mountains. And I described to you some of the landscape. It's like a moon landscape at times. But there's caves all within this mountain, these mountains. And, and so people hid out and it was like a little revolutionary force. Okay. And they were fighting the Germans and the Germans, they, there weren't a lot of Germans there. There was a garrison. So anyway, Sophia's mother fell in love with a German sergeant during the occupation. This was a very, very dangerous thing to do. Her mother would have been severely punished for being a collaborator, except it was secretly known she was a spy. And Sophia, she told me this, she started to laugh. She says, she was a terrible spy. You're not supposed to fall in love and have sex with the enemy. Because the German sergeant was her father. But she did. And she was the only, she was only 18 years old. But she ended up saving everyone on the island in one gallant, sweeping, information, spying coup d'etat. Well, first, Sophia's mother is a very dashing woman. She came out of the restaurant while Sophia was telling the story, and she just, she gave me, she was just magnificent. She looked like a movie star. You know, with the hat, the sunglasses, the hair pulled back, you know, elegant little summer dress, high heels, a purse, you know, lipstick, you know, red lipstick. It was just like, her dress was like, was a big um, black and white polka dotted dress, summer dress. You know, it was cut, um, fantastic looking, um, great, she was in great shape. And she came and she just gave this sort of look to Sophia because she could hear the story was going on. And as it turns out, this was her house. This is where she grew up. And then it was right on the quay and she grew up there. And then they, they had the restaurant. The restaurant had been in the family long before the Germans and, and the Italians ever came. So she just walked out and she walked down the dock. And I just, you know, I was thinking that like, this is, you know, never on Sunday. It was never on Sunday. She was uh, Melina McCure. And, and her mother looked exactly like her, had the same sort of swagger that you saw in the movie as she, as she walked down the, down the uh, quay. And it was never on Sunday. And, and it was just fantastic to think that this woman, she was a hero. And she, she had the keys to the city. She had cheap got honors and all the rest of this kind of stuff. But anyway, the story is this. So the town had gone through these changes, you know, Italians, the British, and now the Germans. And the people were in the mountains. And this little restaurant that Sophia's mother worked at, uh, she was 18. And this German sergeant who spoke a little Greek, and he had learned that from 
taking summer vacations from Germany um, with his family on an island called Eos, which is in the central Aegean. So they grew close because he could communicate with her, and he was very handsome, and he was only 20 years old. But the commanding officer of the Germans was very frustrated, and he was angry that he couldn't suppress suppress the semi-revolutionaries. So word had arrived that the British had retaken the Dodecanese, and the Germans, on May 4th, were going to have to surrender to a small British contingent. This German commander was really outraged. So he announced that the signing ceremony would take place on May 3rd, the day before the British were supposed to come and sign the peace treaty. He set up machine guns so that when the Greek revolutionaries came out of hiding to attend the ceremony in town, the end of the war, their victory, he would machine gun them down. The young sergeant told Sophia, his mother, she told everybody else. And May 3rd came by that it was a trap. And all the people of Simi closed their doors and their windows and stayed inside. All the revolutionaries that were fighting stayed inside the caves. When the British arrived the next day, they were informed about the German commander's actions. And he was arrested for war crimes. The story is, is that the young German sergeant who found his commander's behavior horrible and cringeworthy went back to Germany and returned in about three months and bought the bakery. The baker had died of old age. There was a serious shortage of men because of the war. Nobody in the town objected to the purchase of the bakery. They accepted him into the community. And they also thanked him for being the one to tell the secret to Sophia's mother. So I asked George in Petty Harbor one day after this story was told to me, about what he was doing or what his parents were doing doing during this period. He said his father and mother lived in the mountains for years with the sheep and they fought the Germans. And he just started to laugh. He said, we beat them. We beat them. This is the kind of story that sort of gives you an indication of the soul and the tenacity and the character that's embedded in these people. So when you see a local woman all dressed in black sitting in her doorframe of the front door and on the stoop shucking peas, she gives you a quick smile and you shuffle down the marble steps 
or the old men sitting in the shade of doorways, they nod and tip their caps. When you smell the lilac blooms tumble over stone walls onto the pathways, the feeling is both ancient in the way one might imagine sitting in a primeval forest is, and it is fresh in the sense that Greek life has this marvelously developed sense of simplicity because deep inside there's this wonderful, resilient character. And the islands, each island is like a separate little town. It's like a town that you live in. It's like the town that's over on the other side of the, the highway. Everybody has their own stories. When you learn that as a sailor, as a traveler, you have a sudden sense of connectedness to this place. I feel this place in me today. And I'm sure when you go, learn this story, see the light, taste the food, meet the people, You will both share in the history of this beautiful little island called Simi. Thank you. Wow, Scott, that was a great story. I got a real great sense of Simi and what the island is like. I can't wait to visit. What do we have planned for next week's episode? Well, next week I'm going to tell the story that's titled Protocol. It's about some experiences of checking in, dealing with customs and immigration all over the world, and one particular story of checking into Tunisia when it wasn't a very friendly place for Americans to be. Thank you for tuning in. If you liked this episode... Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to rate and review. You can find us on Facebook and at offshoreexplorer.org. You can also listen to past episodes at offshore-explorer.simplecast.com. Our theme song is sung by Paulette McWilliams, with additional music by Tommy Ivisevich. Until next time, fair winds and calm seas. Down in the South Texas streets of Laredo, I fell in love with a sweet Texan girl.